0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 272. This is your host Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lended Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Zest AI. The world's most innovative lenders use Zest AI software to increase approvals, decrease losses, and automate their lending. Zest AI software delivers powerful risk prediction and borrower assessment for fast, accurate credit decisions that result in more good loans and fewer bad ones. Deemed the gold standard by regulators, the Zest model management system brings together everything lenders need for easy, compliant AI adoption and effective credit model management. Find out more at Zest.ai. Today on the show, I am delighted to be talking with Joanne Barefoot and David Eric. They are the co-founders of AIR, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation. And I wanted to get um, them on the show because jo- Joanne, who is obviously many of you know, she was on the show two and a half years ago, but since then she has co-founded AIR, Air and they're really it's a really interesting organization. It's a nonprofit. They ask the question what if financial regulation could be more effective and less expensive at the same time? And we talk about what they mean by that. We get into the RegTech Manifesto that they published uh, over the summer. Uh, we talk about digitally native regulation, what that means, what it's going to look like. Joanne actually talks through an example of how it can actually work. We talk about the tech prints they're doing, how they're really uh, helping with financial crime. We talk about how they see the relationships with some of the banking regulators uh, and much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Joanne and David.
1: It's lovely to be back. Thank you, Peter.
2: Yes. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here.
0: Okay. Thank you. And it's great to have you back, Joanne. Uh, I know it's been about uh, two and a half years since we last had you on. That time has flown. But maybe, I mean, Joanne, you obviously, a lot of people know who you are, but give us a little bit of just a bit of background, what you've been working on for the last two and a half years. I know we're going to get into that in some depth, but just give us a little background.
1: Great. So I am CEO of the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, or AIR, which I co-founded with David. And we are working on trying to catalyze and shape conversion of the financial regulatory system for the digital age. How are we going to digitize the information in the financial regulatory system so that the regulators can keep up with the digitization of the financial industry itself? And uh, working on that with David.
0: Okay. And David, I know you, you've been involved in fintech for a little while. Tell us a little bit about what you, what you have done recently. Sure. Uh,
2: most recently, I was the co-founder of Petal, which is a fintech credit card that's using cash flow underwriting to provide safe and affordable credit to folks who don't have a credit history. But my background is 20 years in, in payments, both at American Express and at J.P. Morgan, where I was the head of credit card strategy. And I've also uh, been involved with a number of policy ina- initiatives. I was the head of Bank on and the architect of the National Account Standards, which provides a, a product development roadmap for banks to provide accounts, bank accounts that don't have overdraft fees.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm okay okay so then maybe I mean you've touched on it already but why don't you tell us why you decided to to start air obviously there wasn't really an organization like yours out there so tell us about what was the impetus behind the starting of air
1: yeah so I have worked for decades more than I should even uh, count on uh trying to promote consumer financial inclusion, financial health, consumer protection in in finance through regulation. I was a deputy controller of the currency. I worked for the Senate Banking Committee and spent a long time trying to shape a regulatory environment that can do better for consumers. And about six years ago, I immersed in technology activities and had the epiphany that uh, technology could solve a lot of problems that regulation is never going to solve because we have a mixed record of success at best in these efforts toward financial inclusion and consumer financial health. And then I had another epiphany, which was I was at Harvard. I was working on a series of papers, which are on the Harvard website and our website now, six papers on this, and was studying the FinTech and RegTech. And it occurred to me as a former regulator that We weren't going to get the benefit of all of this new consumer technology and finance because we were probably going to regulate it wrong. Not that that is anybody's fault. Our regulators are not designed to be tech forward and they're designed to be careful and slow and and prudent. And how were they going to keep up with both the upside potential and managing the downside risk that's coming with a lot of these changes also in terms of things like privacy So, you know, at the risk of sounding grandiose, I kind of appointed myself to solve (laughs) the problem. Since as you just said, I didn't think anyone else was going to take it on. And then David has a story about how we got together on it.
2: Well, Joanne likes to say, um, if it's a really hard problem, then we know we're in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) But we, um, you know, I like to call Joanne, um, especially when I was working at Petal, our fintech fairy godmother. And uh, what we did at Petal was take a very regulator forward strategy. So our whole, the, our whole value proposition was, was, was transparency to the consumer, but why not then have transparency to the regulator as well? And part of what I saw was the, really the inability of the regulatory community to fully embrace and understand cash flow underwriting. Uh, they had many questions, many concerns about it. And so uh, I saw firsthand that the that the success of Pedal and the success of products like Pedal were only going to uh, work if they could fit through this very narrow aperture of uh, of the regulatory system. And so one of the things that that I did at Pedal was connect us with the work at FinReg Lab, which is a nonprofit organization that was founded by Melissa Coity to to really try to identify the value of cash flow underwriting and uh, prove, prove its use case for the regulatory community. Joanne and I met because uh, she was an advocate for fintechs that are doing this work. And she recognized the need for the regulators to, to really understand at a much deeper level the work that was happening in the, in the fintech community. And so we connected because I saw her give a presentation at a, at a, a convening that was sponsored by the Ford Foundation for financial inclusion nonprofits. And her presentation just resonated for me so strongly because uh, I really felt like she had uniquely hit this, this nail square on the head and that nobody else was having this conversation. So when Joanne shared with me that she was interested in or thinking about starting a nonprofit that would really dedicate itself to this question, I immediately put up my hand and said, Joanne, we should really talk about this. This is really exciting.
0: Right, right. Okay. So, and I want to kind of delve right into it because, you know, when we last chatted, Joanne and I, you, you've always been very optimistic about the, the future of, uh, for, of the regulatory system that we have. And uh, I, I, I myself have not been. <laughs> and I, I kind of felt like we, we have, you know, I, I always thought that there, there was just too many stumbling blocks. It's too complex in this country. We have this system that's just uh, being cobbled together with uh, over, over really centuries in, in some cases, but you, you, I want to talk about the RegTech manifesto because this, when I read this and I haven't read every single word, but I, I have, I have gone through it and it's, I mean, I feel optimistic after reading this. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> because I felt like that, yeah. Finally, there's a bit of a roadmap about what we can actually do to, you know, to really improve at a not just an incremental level. This is really a rethinking of it. So maybe just talk a little bit about the, the background about about the RegTech Manifesto, what it is, and what you actually write about in the hundred plus pages you've got there. Great. Thanks
1: for asking. Cool. Uh, Yeah, it is about 100 pages, and by popular demand, I'm planning to read it on my podcast show for those who would rather listen than read, so that's coming soon. That's great. The RegTech Manifesto was a natural outgrowth of the work and thinking that we've been doing, and it was a product of about 18 months of work. We issued it in July, so most of it was written before the pandemic hit, and yet it has been the right thing at the right time as we have been watching the pandemic and the economic downturn and the racial upheaval following the killing of George Floyd, all of these things really galvanizing interest in using better technology in the regulatory and government processes, just just to speed things. I mean we're seeing it in every facet of our lives, including in regulation. And the paper makes the argument first for why we need to digitize the regulatory system in finance. And the reasons why are that, that regulation has four missions systemic stability, consumer protection, financial inclusion, and countering financial crime. And if we look at those areas, we're doing better on some and worse on others. But with new technology, we could do vastly better on all of them and probably at a sharply reduced cost for both the government and the industry. And then on top of that, even if we thought we were doing great, if we look at where we've stood traditionally, we know that these tools can't keep up with the change ahead. We've got exponential rates of change in technology. They are transforming the financial system writ large, all of the new kinds of things coming up from Libra to DeFi, and um, the regulatory process is going to have to speed up, but as I said before, it's not built for speed. So we try to lay out why we need to make this change, why bad things will happen if we don't and good things will happen if we will, and then what a system like this would look like, what would be its attributes and its defining principles that should guide the design of it. And then thirdly, putting on my hat as a former regulator at the OCC, really trying to lay out how could we actually get there from here, which is the thing that has hung people up, I think from the beginning of when I began doing this work, just the feeling that it's too complicated. In the manifesto, we draw on the uh, inspiration of Sir Tim Berners-Lee who invented the World Wide Web and, uh, you know, 31 years ago, it's not that long ago. And uh, what we're trying to do is complicated, but not as complicated as that. <laughs> and uh, so we think there's an opportunity to break this work down into incremental steps. And I am more optimistic than I was last time we talked by far, because it's happening, it's happening everywhere. Maybe David, you'd like to talk a little bit about that, if that would be appropriate, some of the examples of what's sure. going on in the world.
2: You know, we, we like to say at AIR, think big, but start small. And I think that your comment about the RegTech manifesto giving you hope is actually, I think, a really important thread here, because what you see both in the ecosystem and in the regulatory community, really strong signs of change that really do give us hope. You know, one of the things that, that AIR was really instrumental in doing was bringing to the U.S. in collaboration with the Financial Conduct Authority, tech sprints. Mm -hmm. And uh, tech sprints are really just a hackathon. They're a mechanism for doing an intense problem-solving session to solve a particular problem and create a rapid prototyping. But one of the opportunities that we've seen is to really bring this technology to the uh, regulators as an innovation tool. And they have really begun to embrace this. When we brought the first tech sprint here, which was on anti-money laundering and uh, human trafficking, we had an incredible opportunity to uh, showcase this event for over 16 regulators.
1: 16, yeah, regulatory
2: agencies. Six, regulatory agencies, yeah. sorry, who sent a number of people. And this has now been come, is starting to get embedded in the regulatory agency culture. We are now providing technical assistance to six different regulatory agencies that have either launched or are planning to launch uh, regulatory tech sprint strategies and you've seen this has already been launched by the FDIC, by the CFPB, and just recently announced the text print that is going to be happening with the Department of Financial Services. So there's some very significant changes in the regulatory landscape.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to actually dig into it though, because you in in the manifesto you talk about digitally native regulation, machine machine executable regulation. This is this is a, a quantum leap, right? This is not just you know, uh, not, not just an uh, like a, an incremental change. You're, you know, normally a new regulation happens. You see a big a big printout of a thousand pages, and then everyone has to go and read it and and understand how their company fits in. What I would love you to do is paint a picture for us of what digitally native regulation looks like and how it works in the real world.
1: So it's developing in pieces right now. I'll give you a couple examples and then maybe I'll offer you sort of a imagine this uh, future. Sure. One of the exciting innovations this year has been the G20 tax sprint, which they've done with the Bank for International Settlements and other partners, Monetary Authority of Singapore and others. And they surveyed regulators all over the world. Dozens of them offered use cases for regulator problems that maybe technology could help with. And they distilled it into three use cases. One is uh, how regulators can share information in a crisis like a pandemic. One is how to detect financial crime and cryptocurrency. And the third one was digital regulatory reporting. And I was a judge in the third one. And in the course of reviewing the submissions that came in, I was astonished at the sophistication of the approaches that world-class companies are ready to take to try to bring us machine readable regulation. So you can tag the regulation and the machine can figure out, does it apply to my startup or my bank or my product? And what do I have to do? And then even more ambitiously machine executable regulation in some cases where in the case of reporting, you would have the opportunity potentially in some areas to have the regulation, regulator issue some rules in the form of computer code, which the uh, regulated entity could simply plug into its systems and produce a correct report. The FCA pioneered this idea at the end of 2017 I had convened a meeting at Harvard that June where we had talked about this as a future dream. And the next thing I knew, six months later, the FCA ran a tech sprint and successfully proved that they could do it, that they could get a correct report back out of a pool of test data in 10 seconds. Instead of, as you just said, Peter, like two years, issue the paper, have everyone read it, have you know, implement all the operational controls, have all the mistakes that come with that, and so on and so on. So these things are coming real. Those projects are now being incubated in the BIS Innovation Hub in Singapore. And that's the kind of thing we'll have. But if I picture myself as a regulator 10 years from now, maybe sooner, this won't all be done by then. But you can imagine an environment in which I've got tools available to me that are closer to querying something on Google than to reading a regulatory report in the way that we do today. Now, as soon as I say that, everyone panics over the privacy implications and the data security, massive amount of work that needs to be done there. The manifesto does talk about some of the important concepts that need to be addressed but if I wanted to suppose I was looking at something that could be turning into a subprime mortgage crisis that would lead to a global recession. And I was wondering how vulnerable was the banking system to contagion from subprime lending practices that were outside the banking system in uh, 2006 or 2007, there wasn't a way to know the answer to that. In the future, we should be able to know. The regulators should be able to get more information faster in the pandemic. The FDIC, for example, has um, undertaken this year a rapid prototyping project to modernize the call report because they're sitting there in the pandemic and and an economic downturn, and they're trying to rely on reports that come in quarterly. Right. You know, it's too late, you don't know, You're, they're blind, they have huge blind spots. So we want to give them digitized information, like give it to them, we're not giving it to them, but we want to help them build the structures that are needed, the architectures that are needed for regulators themselves to begin to create the access they need to real-time data, full sets of data, regulators, bank regulators today still go out and sample files of loans. They rely on these summary reports like call reports or reports sometimes that come in annually instead of being able to take a look at where trends may be occurring, slice it vertically, look at it horizontally across all the financial institutions and see where the emerging risk trends might be. That's what the future of regulation should be like. And I should, should say, Bringing AI into that data, get the data extracted from the silos where it's all locked up and imprisoned today and into forms where we can run machine learning and natural language processing over it and find the financial crime or find the patterns of unfairness or find the patterns of emerging risk. Peter, at its core, we have the technology. This is the technology
2: right. that's being pioneered today by FinTechs and RegTechs, right? You know, what what we want to do is help the regulatory community embrace that same technology. And it requires some structural changes. And that's what we outlined in the RegTech manifesto. If you want the regulators to have access to the benefits of AI, then you need to build a system that is interoperable. And it requires that that system sit on a data layer that uh, is, is standardized. None of this exists today. And so this is what we are uh, off to to build. This is what we're off to try to help the regulators put in
0: place. And when you say that, David, do you mean what? what exactly is Air's role here? Are you acting as an advisor? You say, you said like help them build. I mean, are you are you helping them build this? I mean, what what's the role exactly of Air?
2: Right. We we are not you know like a you know a giant consulting firm that builds right. you know <laughs> a regulatory system. Right. <laughs> But we, we see our role as uh, thought leadership and also as exercising the test and learn use cases that can help the regulators gain confidence in some of the early steps that they need to take. So uh, our text strategy is very much a part of that in terms of helping the regulators see that there's not only a different innovation tool that they can use, but then you can actually produce a digitized prototype. That can help solve that individual problem and help the regulators uh, uh, embrace the digital solutioning that's possible. Mm-hmm.
1: The other thing we're doing is a tremendous amount of convening across these silos. So we, we, the regulators increasingly want to come to the table. As you mentioned, in the United States, we have a lot of regulatory agencies. You know, they have interest in sitting down, talking with technology people, talking with industry people and innovators, and. I wanna emphasize the manifesto was issued like Tim Berners-Lee's original paper on the World Wide Web as a request for comments. And we're getting comments from all over the world that you can come on our website and comment and also make notes in a Google document if you want to. But outside of that channel, we are just finding that people are reading it, reaching out, we're meeting new kinds of people, we're building a community of people who have the will and the ability to really make this happen. And many of them are regulators, many former regulators, policymakers, as well as lots of people in the industry. Right. So our right. role is to be a catalyst and a and a helper. Mm-hmm.
2: At the end of the day, the the regulators have to have to do this work internally, but uh, as a catalyst, we're helping them uh, build their readiness for right. this. Previous event. Right,
0: and 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 on that, you know, I mean, in some ways, this is a this is a very good timing because, you know, I know that, um, you know, Joanne, you've spoken to both, uh, you know, um, Chairman McWilliams from the FDIC and uh, Brian Brooks, the acting head of the OCC, and you know, with both of those people, I, from my perspective, seem to be the most forward-looking leaders that we may have ever had from in, in those two agencies. So, I mean, it seems to me that you're getting. Like there's not there's there there is an acknowledgement that yes, you are right, we need to change. And is that what you're you're hearing from from those two agencies?
1: Definitely so, and from the other agencies as well. We have recent podcasts with those two leaders and also with the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration, Rodney Hood, who's very, very committed to innovation as well. And the same is true with the CFPB, the Fed, CSBS. We're about to see if, I t- you know, part of the reason we know we're in a good place, Peter, is that we are banning acronyms because we realize <laughs> we're talking to lots of tech people who have no idea what CSBS is, for example. So, CSBS is a conference of state bank supervisors. We actually made an exciting announcement two weeks ago with the New York Department of Financial Services yep. uh, and CSBS that we're putting on a sprint with them on a COVID-driven problem they have, as we talked about before. How do, you, how do they get information faster, especially from non-banks, in a time of crisis? And uh, so we're going to do a tech sprint with them focusing on a starter use case in cryptocurrency, and we'll be doing that early next year. Right. But yes, this, this current group of leaders are very, very focused on innovation, and some of them are not shy about moving quickly, really. Right, exactly.
0: It's been quite amazing to, to see the speed that uh, they're willing to move. But I want to talk about last week, because last week, uh, and we're recording this on October 26th, so last week the you had a tech sprint on a specific topic and at the end of it, you had uh, you had sort of these open sessions. I, I caught Chris Larson, you know, the head of the New York Department of Financial Services, since we're not using acronyms, and uh, and also Aston Kutcher, the sort of the uh, entrepreneur slash actor. And so, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? It was obviously about a specific topic. Um, explain the topic and what and what you sort of got out of the of the tech sprint.
2: You know, this was our second tech sprint on financial crime. Our first one, I mentioned earlier, we really focused on AML and human trafficking. This is one where we focused on cryptocurrency and, very specifically, uh, its traceability in the blockchain to uh, identify and apprehend perpetrators of CSAM, which is child sexual abuse material. Uh, So a very heady topic, uh, very painful at times to engage, but very powerful in the sense that uh, many people think that crypto is a uh, currency that's often used for nefarious purposes. And uh, in some cases that is true, but what we have with crypto that doesn't exist, say with cash is the traceability on the blockchain. And we are learning through new advances that are being made in crypto analytics We're learning how to analyze the flow of funds and identify the wallets, uh, the nodes that are particularly active in the purchasing of CSAM. Uh, And we're able to do that by connecting uh, those wallets when they actually exchange for fiat currency. Uh, And that's a moment when you can actually uh, link an identity with a particular particular crypto uh, wallet, even if it is anonymous. And so uh, this is the work that our teams did. We had three teams from uh, background, from very diverse backgrounds, from crypto, crypto analytics, from children's advocates, we had uh, policy folks, regulators, financial institutions, both large and small, uh, all coming together to uh, try to uh, solve this particular problem. And so we had three teams, each team had about uh, eight or nine people on it with very diverse backgrounds, and were able to collaborate over the course of a week to uh, produce a solution and the solutions were really focused on how to help law enforcement access, leverage, and easily interpret the data that that can be made available to them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We had five regulatory agencies or six participating in the sprint. We had the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We had a judge from the Financial Conduct Authority Fin Sen uh, spoke and was a judge. We had Senator Rob Portman, Congressman Anthony Gonzalez. You mentioned an Ash, Ashton Kutcher, who was a founder of a group called Thorn, along with Demi Moore, which protects children from these crimes. And this crime is something that is particularly heinous because the children are abused when they're going through the experience that they're put through and then they're re-victimized as their images are shown potentially forever online and it's very difficult to find the crime itself so we had law enforcement involved people from doj and the fbi the irs brought down a big case and we added the dimension of trying to find these crimes by finding their patterns in the money in addition to the online photographs and and videos themselves. And we actually did have one of our teams find some live leads. This was beyond our expectations when we started. But developing these technology approaches, they found what appears to be some live uh, CSAM crime underway. And we were able to have that analyzed by Chainalysis, which was a partner, as was Ripple. The whole idea came from Ripple and uh, referred to law enforcement. So it's possible that this efforts may have saved some children already. And then the winners are going into presentation to FinCEN to drill down further with whether the tools that they how the tools they developed might be Right. Uh, use
0: in law enforcement. Right. Now, I remember I was listening to your remarks on Friday morning, Joanne, and you were. What What was striking to me is that you've got people like you've got people who are, who are are focused on CSAM and they've got that that's that's their area of expertise, and you've got people who are focused on crypto and that's their area of expertise, and then you've got other other people who are focused on on you know catching these criminals and like they don't they're siloed in from that they don't really have. The knowledge of the others and so it seemed like what you were trying to do there that was most striking was to bring together all this expertise but have them cross-pollinate so they so the crypto person now understands about you know CSAM crimes and, and and vice versa.
1: Exactly that's the key to the to the tech sprint it's crushing the silos and bringing and it's especially bringing the tech people to the table. In the RegTech Manifesto we have a section where we said the technology people need to be in the room where it happens when we're doing financial uh, regulatory policy. And they aren't usually, right. but when you put them in that room, they'll have a different idea than the rest of us who may be lawyers or, or policy people are going to have on, on how you might be able to get at a, a complicated problem.
2: Right, right. No, that, and that, part that. of this Peter is that you build lasting relationships, mm-hmm. you know, at these tech sprints, You know, you're not only building relationships, you know, between regulators and market participants, between market participants and subject matter experts, but also between the regulators themselves. Right.
1: Even virtually, this one was virtual. The one we did last year was live. And even without being able to grab a beer with each other or whatever, uh, people made friends and they're going to keep working on these problems.
0: Right, right. No, that, that that's uh, you know, in the virtual world, we're we're all used to it now. So it's <laughs> it is something that uh, you know we you know we we find that uh, people are, I think, pretty open for the most part to to creating new connections virtually. We we found that here at LendIt, where with our events, it's been uh, we've been really pleased to see that the people are willing to do that. So. So we're running out of time, but there's so many other things we could talk about. Maybe just want to hit on, maybe just, I'd love to get your sense on decentralized finance. And it's something that we, I'm starting to take more of an interest in. And it's, I don't know if that's, it's anything that you've really thought about it, Air, but it feels like to me, you know, it's it's becoming it's becoming the next hot thing, and it is, you know, I've always the biggest concern for me about DeFi the way they've been the way it's kind of been structured is is a regulatory concern. That the the technology is is you know is great and 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 it's it's efficient, but we, but these because we're sort of combining, you know, a crypto cryptocurrency that is cross border by definition, and, and it you know I feel like the the regulatory piece is is still unsolved. And is is there any work you're doing in that area?
1: Broadly so, yes. Not, I mean, we haven't had a project on DeFi, but we think it, it really reinforces the case we're making that we can't sit around waiting for bad things to happen if, you know, if there might be some ahead. We really need to be gearing the regulatory capacity to move quickly without choking off, without moving too fast and, and choking off good things. Uh, DeFi, crypto itself, uh, Libra, the Chinese of art I know you spend time in China, they've already got their yuan out there. We've got proposals for a digital dollar in the United States and programmable money and central bank digital currencies under discussion in many parts of the world. How are we gonna regulate these things? Yes. You know, just really, there's a, there's a lot of smart work going on at both the SEC and the the CFTC. Sorry from the acronyms, but um, on using artificial intelligence to begin again to understand patterns. But to do that, we have to get the information in accessible form. So we are really interested in both the upside opportunity of these things and also which you know some of this just can be such a democratizing force if we do regulate it right, driving down the costs of intermediating financial transactions, taking friction out of it. Again, think of the World Wide Web analogy, uh, but fraught with possible problems too. The regulators are, we talk about this in the manifesto, the regulators are gonna need new skills, new training, right. new right. ways of collaborating with each other, with the industry. It's going to be a, a big a big shift, right. but necessary and and exciting. And frankly, I think the field is attracting tech people because tech people like uh, interesting, worthwhile problems. Right. To some, and we've got a lot of them. In yeah, the no, it's
0: it's it's a challenging problem on many levels. So so maybe maybe David, last word, um, would love to kind of get a sense. I mean, you talked about the the CSBS and NYDFS tech sprint, but what else? What else can we see coming out of air down the track?
2: Well, I think what we're working on right now is identifying a series of projects that can really put in place the ideas and the resources that we outline in the the RegTech Manifesto. So really, we're we're working on a couple of ideas to, to make them very concrete make it into a particular project, a demonstration project that can help people really better understand what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and help regulators understand the the first baby steps that they can take to actually begin to achieve uh, digitally native regulation. Right,
1: And I think we may have forgotten to say, Peter, that we are uh, launching this phase as what we're calling the regulatory design project. So let's take these ideas and then figure out what is the work that should be done first, concretely, as David said, what are the places where there's the biggest missing link that's holding back progress? And AIR is going to try to take that on with partners and including launching a series of webinars called the Re- Regulatory Design Series. And we'll drill down on all these topics.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Um, I am actually more optimistic than I was uh, uh, last time we chatted, Joanne. So I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing all this uh, fascinating work you guys are doing at air. So thanks, Joanne. Thanks, David. Appreciate For your time.
1: For joining us. Thank okay. you. The art
0: of the possible, Peter. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. See ya. Thank you. Bye. You know, it really struck me after I hung up with uh, Joanne and David that really what's amazing in in what they're trying to do is that the cost of compliance is what you you read about this all the time. You know, banks, fintechs all have to deal with huge compliance costs and. You know th- there's really no way around it there has been no way around it but what air provides and and what what Joanne and David just pointed to there is that it there is a there is a potential future where that can be changed and and changed quite dramatically if we're starting to have this be you know imagine like a you know digitally native regulation where there's apis involved and you really you can know with certainty how your operation is going to be impacted by new regulation you know how you can produce reporting that the existing regulation requires and it can be all done electronically. The cost that can be taken out of the system is uh, is quite dramatic and uh, I think it's an exciting place uh, and, and as we will, we also talked when we uh, stop recording that you know this is a really complex problem that they're trying to solve here and so you know they're attracting some of the brightest and best you know minds in in the world to attack to attack this problem so I, I one thing I'm really quite Confident of is that in, in 10 years time that the way regulation is implemented in the financial system, I think will be very, very different and that uh, it's going to be exciting to see how that transpires. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Zest AI. Zest AI has been perfecting AI-enabled credit solutions for over a decade and is committed to empowering lenders of all sizes to build, adopt, and operate fairer, more accurate lending models. The Zest model management system is the only complete AI solution built specifically for fair and transparent credit. Powerful, compliant, swift, and easy. See how Zest AI can transform your lending at zest.ai.